Hey everyone, my name is Andre and here's Michael on today's episode of Radical Normal. We'll be discussing Exodus chapter 7 through 10 and continuing our journey through the book of Exodus, specifically discussing the plagues today. Hope you guys enjoy the discussion. So when we're recording this, college football is starting and well, one, I got to say, I don't know how everything's going to turn out, but I'm pretty optimistic about OU season. As Andre keeps pointing out to me, though, I have a dilemma of rooting for the Aggies or rooting for the Sooners, because now being in law school, I'm both an Aggie and a Sooner. However, I might be placing my bets on my Big 12 team this season. And in the not too distant future, they might be in, well, they will be. In the yeah, they will be. And the SEC, which should be very interesting. On the other side of things, uh, on the ACC side, I'll probably be going to way more football games than I've ever gone to before during my time at Georgia Tech. Uh, just because our team sucks, they really go to more than like one or two games a year. Uh, usually when some <laughs> big team like Clemson or something comes in. Uh, but this year, my girlfriend's cheering at the game. Woo! So yeah. I'll probably be at a lot more than I usually would, uh, would be at. Um, but I won't be there for the football. So yeah, (laughs) so still not, still not there to support the team. That's okay though. So today we have a little bit of time for four chapters really, because Andre is going to rush off to a career fair after this. And we have four whole chapters, which will cover the first nine plagues. So if you flipped in your Bibles, chapter 11, you see the threatening of the final plague. And then you see chapter 12 with the Passover, which we'll cover next episode. So the four chapters today will cover this demonstration before Pharaoh and then the first nine plagues. Uh, So you ready to hop in? Oh yeah. Let's hop in with the first 13 verses or so. Yeah, 13 verses of chapter seven. And then after that, get into the first plague and uh, hopefully it all runs together smoothly. So let's jump right in. Yeah, so in verse one, we see Yahweh say to Moses that he has made Moses like God to Pharaoh. So remember that Pharaoh thought he was a God or that he was deified in some sort of way. And Yahweh says, he like, nope, the shepherd here, this little Moses guy, he's going to be God to you, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's been wondering, who's this God that I should listen to? We covered that back last week in chapter five. And this is interesting because it's the same role, not to spend too much time on the first verse since we have a long way to go. But remember that Moses was also made like God to Aaron back in chapter four when Moses was whining and God gave him a companion, his, his older brother. As we see down in verse seven, Moses is now 80 years old and Aaron is 83. This is crazy. But this is just a little bit of summary text, a little bit of introduction before we get to this demonstration and before we get to the plagues. That's really good. And, you know, that's kind of one of the reasons why I didn't like this was my Enneagram buddy was because of how (laughs) old he is. Um, Doesn't really have the aptitude for speaking and all that. It seems like an old man, but, you know, it is what it is. But kind of uh, moving into kind of some of what you were saying, I think it's also super interesting um, you know, thinking of, of, you know, these instructions are being laid before Moses and how, you know, the Lord is saying, uh, you are to be a God over Pharaoh, um, or like a God to Pharaoh, excuse me. And that's just super interesting, especially when we're going to begin to see how, um, you know, God's instructing Moses to do these signs and to warn Pharaoh of these plagues. And because Pharaoh, you know, doesn't want to listen, uh, we see that these you know, these plagues begin to happen. And then it really plays out in, in how um, God told Moses that he, this relationship between him and Pharaoh was really going to change in a 
in a way because of the power that was going to be bestowed upon upon him and that you know he was going to be the one showing these signs warning pharaoh these things that were going to happen and then we're going to see pharaoh actually begin to um plead with moses and um ask moses to to please pray to god and to make some of these things go away so we really see this change in um really the relationship between pharaoh and moses and you know how their interactions are really going on because of this um in the background we know that um you know, this great power that, you know, the Lord has entrusted Moses with and these instructions as well. Amen. So I'll just point out a couple things before we get into the first one. The uh, one thing is that it, uh, note how, so this is interesting, how, like, why is God doing all this? And we'll get to this in more depth in chapter nine verses. I think it's 14 through 16 when God says why he's raising up Pharaoh, why he's doing the plagues. But in verse five, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And I've spent a lot of time over the last eight months in Ezekiel and I can just uh, I just flipped to a random page while Andrew was talking in Ezekiel, chapter 20, verse 20, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. So God acts, and that's just repeated over and over and over in Ezekiel. God acts so that knowledge of him might be uh, given to the world, that people might see God in his glory. That's what chapter 9 is going to tell us. So that's why God is acting. And then here we have this little, not this little, this, I mean, kind of little incident before the plagues begin where Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and do what God says. Aaron cast down his staff, verse 10, before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. So then these wise men, sorcerers, magicians do the same thing, but their, uh, their staffs are swallowed up by Aaron's staff. So uh, what's interesting though, is that a snake was the form of a sun God in Egypt and snakes were signs of royalty there, which I talked about before, uh, I think as well. So here we see that just in a little small area, Yahweh is already triumphing over the Egyptians. The staff swallows up the staffs and the Hebrew for to swallow is used twice in Exodus. It's only used here and in 1512 where the sea swallows up the Egyptians. So this is like a little preview of what the sea is going to do um, eventually, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened and we'll talk about what that means later, but that's kind of just a summary of what's going on here before we get into um, the Nile turning to blood. Yeah, and I just had one more point, you know, before we, we jumped into <clears throat> the Nile turning into blood, kind of to build off of what you said, but in verse five, when uh, we really see like the purpose for all of some of this, uh, these signs and uh, these plagues, that the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, right? So not before we'd seen, you know, uh, Moses is going to perform these signs and um, going to, you know, tell uh, the Hebrew people, you know, we need to go and worship the Lord in the wilderness. Um, was primarily for that reason. But now we see that it's also so that the, that the Egyptians also will see this um, through, you know, um, this serpent, you know, eating the other two serpents of, of um, you know, the sorcerers of Pharaoh. But also one thing that I, that, you know, we also want everyone to, you know, kind of pick up on is that at the beginning, we see that Pharaoh in his like insecurity and not wanting to actually believe that uh, this God, the Lord, uh, that Moses is, is, uh, um, telling Pharaoh about and saying that these instructions are coming from, he doesn't want to, you know, actually believe or uh, begin to understand, you know, who this might be. He thinks that he has his own way and he, he instructs his own um, sorcerers to use their, um, you know, to secret arts to try to do the same exact um, miracles or signs. And then, you know, kind of along the way, we're going to see that eventually they aren't able to, um, they might be able to, and as we jump in, this might be a good transition, might be able to turn water um, into blood. They might be able to, turn their staves into these snakes and it might not amount 
to the same magnitude of, um, um, you know, the signs that, that Moses and Aaron are able to do. But we're, we're, we see that, you know, they're, they're in their insecurity, they're still using this as a justification. And over time, they won't be able to do this anymore. That was the last point as we, you know, jump into the Nile turning into blood. Uh, so let you kick us off there. Yeah, you reminded me of one thing I'll say real quick, which is we're not, it's almost like we're not to think of Moses's power over creation or God's miraculous work here as supernatural, like breaking into the natural world. It's more like, and you can think of this with Jesus's miracles as well. I forget which commentator said this in the on the gospels, but Jesus performing miracles isn't like the supernatural coming into the natural world. It's more like how natural things were supposed to be is being restored. Jesus is bringing the natural back to a disordered state. And along with disorder, uh, God often creates. God is creator. There's lots of references from Exodus back to Genesis, but God in judgment often decreates. And that's what we see with the visions, the symbolism in Revelation, with the the plagues, the seven uh, seals, the seven trumpets, the seven uh, bowls. And then, so okay, so let's jump in. I could probably end up talking about Revelation for a while, as Andre as Andre knows. So the first plague, so we see here, and we can go a little bit more in depth here just to get a picture of what the formula is going to look like, because as Andre was talking to me about before we began, a lot of the plagues, like they sound similar. The, the narrative is, is kind of similar. So in the first one, the Lord tells Moses that, that Pharaoh's heart is hardened and Moses is to stand on the bank and uh, take in your hand the same staff. And say, basically say to Pharaoh, like, let my people go, let my people come serve or go serve Yahweh in the wilderness. And so this is exactly what happened. The fish in the Nile are going to die. The Nile's going to stink. They're not going to have any water to drink. And so Moses and Aaron do as the Lord commanded. Verse 20, lift up the staff, strike the water. The water turns to blood. The fish died. They couldn't drink from the Nile. So that's kind of an overview of just the narrative of what happens here. The mag- but one thing that's worth noting for the first two plagues only, I'll just say as we kind of overview all of them, is that it's only the first two plagues that the magicians can repeat. After that, there is no repetition of what the magicians, the sorcerers can do. So I kind of just gave an overview of the narrative. What like comments do you have maybe as we kind of look at the story? Yeah, one thing that specifically stuck out to me, and, and we kind of also see how this kind of theme progresses, at least in, in my views, uh, when it talks about, you know, the fish dying and we, we see this smell that it talks about that, um, you know, there's this stink in verse 18. And that just really stuck out to me because you begin to see this uh, separation or distinction or uh, this set apartness, uh, I don't even know if that's a word, between the Egyptians and um, and God's people. And it's really interesting because, you know, you can begin to understand or feel this tension between, um, you know, these feelings that uh, Pharaoh and, and his, the people in his, you know, inner circle, and then also the rest of the Egyptians. And then we're going to begin to see that, you know, it's this stink first that's really bothering them. But then later on, it might be that, you know, all of their livestock and things that they've worked for have died, but yet, you know, the, um, you know, those of, of the Hebrew people are spared. And we begin to see this distinction begin to, to really play out. And I think this kind of is a little bit of the start of it. And, you know, we see that the Egyptians are growing weary of drinking the water. Um, and we see that this is, you know, really a, a bigger issue that's causing this, this discomfort. Um, and begin, we're beginning to see this uh the separation. Um, and I think that that's really, really interesting how these plagues, um, work to do that. And, 
And yeah, that's that's really uh, the main point I wanted to want to share there. That's so good. I like how that ties into the the reversal here. So the Nile was essential to Egyptian life. And what's crazy is the Nile was how God, or sorry, not God, how God's enemy, how Pharaoh uh, originally tried to crush Israel, chapter one, toss the newborns, the, the kids, into the Nile. Mm. Well, now the Nile in reverse is becoming a problem for, for Egypt. And so this is just a point. I won't do this for every plague because it doesn't seem like there is congruence every plague to an Egyptian god, but at least for the first two. Happy, crazy name, H-A-P-I though, Happy was the god of fertility and was closely tied to the Nile in Egyptian thought. And for the second plague, Heket, uh, I think it's how it's pronounced, was a goddess of fertility and had the head of a frog. So some of these plagues kind of have connections to Egyptian gods and that's showing that the true battle, just like in real life, isn't between flesh and flesh or flesh and blood. It's between uh, the deeper, like it's, it's a spiritual battle. It's what actually Revelation 12 is depicting to us too, but it's between God and the gods of Egypt and Yahweh is supremely God. And so in this first one, that's kind of what we're seeing here. And what's crazy though is how everything is just unraveling. So the second plague, frog. So remember that what was man supposed to do in Genesis 1? Have dominion over the animals. Now it's a complete reversal of that. Now animals are causing problems for humans, which is a creation reversal. Man is supposed to have dominion and the Egyptians no longer do that's really good and you know it's not just like this is two frogs it says <laughs> yeah this would be yeah. this would be like literally you read these and like i'm picturing them especially after one of my sorry to interject one of my roommates in norman made me uh, watch he might be listen, he might listen to this made me watch uh this the movie exodus with christian bale Anyway, some of the things in that movie are way off, like Yahweh, God is depicted as like a little child giving Moses instructions, kind of weird, but anyways, <laughs> picturing some of these plagues is literally crazy, like frogs everywhere, no thanks. No, yeah, this is just like, it, it says in, and I, I lost my spot here laughing at this joke, but uh, <laughs> in verse three, it, you know, it says it's going to be swarming with frogs and they're going to be coming uh, into their houses and into their bedrooms and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people. And, you know, this just sounds totally disgusting. And we know it's super bad because in verse 8, Pharaoh called to Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people. I will let the people go sacrifice to the Lord. So he's like, I will literally do the thing that I do not want to do just to not have this inconvenience anymore, <clears throat> which is super interesting to me and, and really just shows, you know, this great power in that, you know, this isn't just um, – you know, Moses instructing just the frogs in the area to go and harass, <laughs> yeah. harass Pharaoh. This is a, a miraculous uh, sign or plague um, that's going on here, you know, and because of that and because of, you know, how much of an inconvenience and, and you know, just how much, you know, power we're seeing here, um, Pharaoh, who doesn't even want to believe um, in Yahweh and, you know, He's saying, you know, please go and plead, you know, do whatever it takes to not have this burden on me anymore. And he makes these promises um, that he's going to let them go out to the wilderness <clears throat> and he's going to let them go and make sacrifices to the Lord, as I read in verse eight. And then we know that he's actually, as soon as the frogs go away, um, we see that, you know, he goes back on his promises, um, you know, just as the Lord had said that he would. Um, he goes back on his promises and we, you know, we, we see that he's going to do this several more times and continue to make excuses of as to why um, some certain stipulation has to be met or uh, some change of heart. And he's not going to go and let um, them go and, and 
go and make the sacrifices to the Lord. That's really good. And I think it's just interesting. Verse 15 at the end of this second plague narrative in the book, uh, Pharaoh basically saw that there was relief. Harden his heart again, wouldn't listen. So as soon as he's back in a good spot, he wouldn't listen anymore. I mean, that's kind of how we are with sin. And what is Pharaoh doing? Pharaoh's basically saying every time that Pharaoh changes his heart again, it's basically like him wanting to compromise it with Israel and with God. Like, what is the least I can do and be okay? And like, that's true. Like, that's how we are with sin too. What is the closest I can get to the boundary marker of what's sin and what's not? And I think as one pastor's pointed out that I've listened to, like, that's a defensive question. We should be asking like, what allows us to glorify God more, but we're often asking what's the closest we can get and still be okay. That's what, that's what Pharaoh's tactic is. That's what Pharaoh's doing. And Andre, if you don't mind, can just cause it's going to be rampant throughout the rest of the text. Can I just take like a minute or so and try to explain like, what does it mean when God hardens Pharaoh's heart versus Pharaoh hardening his own heart and stuff? Yeah, we should go ahead and jump into that, especially as we're going to continue to see different variations of that as we go. So yeah, go ahead and, and uh, give a little so, discussion on that. The first thing I'll just say is way back, it might have been like episode 35 or like it's like really, it's way earlier. We did a whole episode on predestination and free will. So if you're just wondering completely about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, this episode's on the plagues, not just a whole discussion about that. So I would recommend that episode. But just as for this, so one thing that I've learned, I've learned a couple things about this. One thing is I would go read Paul's explanation of what God is doing in Romans 9, how God hardens when he wants to, and he does as he pleases, and he shows mercy as he pleases, God's sovereignty. Um, and so uh, one thing that's interesting is um, on the Bible Talk podcast, they talk about how uh, there's different terms for the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. So in 7.3, uh, we had the the English translations use harden for all of these, but like in chapter 4, verse 21, when God foresaw uh, all of this, the Hebrew means to make it hold fast or make it strengthened. So in 7.3, when we actually saw this, it says, I will make his heart hard. And then in 7.14, it's like Pharaoh's heart is hardened, which is like, it will be weighty. So it's like Pharaoh's heart is heavy. The Lord is making it resolute in its own promises. So it's almost like a doctrine of concurrency where Pharaoh is being confirmed in his own choices by the Lord. So man's man's own responsibility and God's sovereignty kind of operate together. However, I just don't want to spend like 20 minutes on God's sovereignty here. But we did a whole episode on like Jonathan Edwards and John Calvin on predestination. Highly recommend that episode. That was probably longer than one minute. I'm sorry. No, you're a good minute. And I don't know where you want to uh, jump back into. I had one more point really quickly about the second plague, and I feel Go like maybe it. you might want to get into the third. But one thing that you had said earlier, and I was really thinking about um, kind of a new point, but it's interesting that, you know, the frogs leave the houses and their bedrooms and all of that, which is awesome, but then they go and stay primarily at the Nile. And I thought that was, like, super interesting how, you know, you had mentioned um, – that these the, this frog and, and the Nile and all these things kind of have to do with um, something that you know the Egyptian people are you know very keen to and worship a lot towards, which is this idea of fertility and all that. And they continue to stay there. That kind of just like shows to me that you know God's really saying you can plead and and I'll make this situation a little better for you, Pharaoh. But at the end of the day, don't forget that the one thing that you uh, probably care about so much and, and are serving rather than serving me and allowing, you know, my people to serve me as well. I'm going to, you know, keep showing you that I reign over that as that thing as well. 
and that those frogs are going to stay right there. So I thought that was interesting. I'll let you go to third yeah. peg, and we can move on from there. Yeah, so this is interesting. If you went back to the first one in 7.15, Yahweh says, go to Pharaoh in the morning. Then chapter 8, uh, he says to, there's an instruction. There's no instruction, sorry, about going in the morning. The third plague, there's no instruction about going in the morning. But if we go back to the fourth plague, if we go ahead to the fourth plague, we would see the Lord say, rise up early in the morning. So every, so it's almost like they're structured in series. The first series, they're, the first plague is in the morning, do this. The fourth plague, in the morning, do this. The seventh plague, in the morning, do this. So they're structured in series. And how do we know that they're put together? Well, there's other attributes as well. So in the first series, the the Nile to blood and the frogs, both there's a warning given to Pharaoh. But this third plague, the gnats, there's no warning. Then if you went through the, the four, five, and six, it would be warning, warning, no warning. Seven, eight, nine would be warning, warning, no warning. So it's an entire series all put together structurally. And so that's just really interesting comment about how they're all placed together, how they're all written. But yeah, so in the third plague, we have these gnats. And gosh, all, imagining all this is just brutal. Um, so remember, the first two plagues are about water, which was central to, their to the Egyptian lifestyle. Now it's connected with dust. God isn't just sovereign over water. God is also sovereign over the entirety of creation. He formed man out of the mm. dust. And so now we see the first one. So basically there's just gnats all over the place. That's my summary of the third plague, but it's the first time the magicians can't replicate the hand. So this isn't a thing to talk about like, uh, you know, well, is it sorcery? Is it demonic? Is God allowing for it to show his eventual power? Or are they just doing more something more like a magic trick? I, this text isn't clear, but it's the first time they can't replicate it, which shows God's enemies might have power for some time, but he is going to prevail. That's all I have on the third plague though really good and then you know we see in verse 19 they say this is the finger of god pharaoh still isn't having it doesn't yeah pharaoh pharaoh, does, pharaoh doesn't want to hear it even though his inner people it's not like people on on moses side it's literally his own people this is the finger of god he's like mm, nah yeah and that kind of takes us into uh the fourth plague uh the lord tells moses rise up early in the morning go to pharaoh um tell him kind of the same spiel let them go let them serve me and then we get into this this new plague, which is which is flies, um, and you know we see that um, this is now going to continue to devastate, um, you know, the Egyptian people and their houses, their you know livelihoods and all of that. Um, so we'll we'll continue on there with our second cycle of plagues. Um, so uh, let you uh, jump in with that, Michael. Yeah, I'm realizing we have uh, not a ton of time prior to your 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 fair here, so I'll try to speed through. So the fourth plague, we see that there's going to be a division between the two peoples, just as God marks apart his people throughout the entirety of the biblical na narrative. As Jim Hamilton says, saves his people, that God's, like the theme of the Bible, God's glory in salvation through judgment. So God marks apart his people. We're going to see that all the way through the Passover and then in, and then later into the Old Testament and into the New Testament. But notice how Pharaoh wants compromise. Moses will not compromise. He refuses to do that. And so as we continue, we're going to see one man wants to compromise. See how close he can get to the boundary. Moses is all in. He doesn't want to do anything. Pharaoh won't truly repent, but Moses is all in for God. This man is somebody who's grown. Now, he's 80, which is hard to think about, but he he will not compromise. He ensures he's in full obedience to God uh, in this story. So that's all I have on chapter or on the fourth on the fourth plague. Do you have anything else? Yeah, I just liked how you pointed out that separation we get to see 
Um, and then, you know, this time the difference is that Moses told him, I'm going to go plead with the Lord, but you better not go back on your word. You better not break your promise. And we still see that Pharaoh hardens his heart in verse 32. And then we get into the fifth plague where the livestock of the Egyptians is going to die. Um, and so, you know, we see kind of the same song and dance uh, go on. And, um, you know, Moses tells Pharaoh that the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field. And, you know, kind of tells them your livestock is going to die. Um, and then, you know, if he doesn't let, um, you know, doesn't let the Lord's people go, still Pharaoh doesn't want to listen. And then, as we see, livestock died um, and Pharaoh's heart continues to be hardened. Um, and he does not let them go to worship or to serve the Lord. Yeah, it's a good summary. I mean, the only thing, I don't even have like a textual comment. The only thing is like, I think we think of livestock, we're like, oh, dang, we're like driving to school or we're driving in the ball. And there's like, oh, there's like some cows over there. That sucks. But think about that. Think about livestock for them. Bulls were another sign of fertility. A lot, there were like bull gods, like the gods that were like imaged or thought of as bulls and worshipped. And so there was value to that as well, not just to the society and how they ate and how they operated. Um, so, th I mean, this is significant uh, for them. And then when we get to the sixth plague, this is the first time, according to commentators, it's kind of feels like a lot of them talk about this, but like this is the first time or the human life is threatened in a more direct way, starting with the sixth one. So we see these boils break out over everybody. Like this is way worse than like, you know, getting some bad acne. You just have boils and all the, over. The funny part. The funny part is that the magicians didn't even show up this time. They're, they're <laughs> <insane>. <laughs> yeah, that is, yeah, that's really funny. So, yeah, so there was just boils over man and beast. The magicians couldn't stand before Moses. And then, as Andre concluded with the fifth plague, here with the sixth plague, the boils, the Pharaoh or the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. So. Pharaoh's heart was hardened in the, in the fifth one. Now the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart uh, there. So one thing I'll point out just now, because I'm thinking of it, is that in the we often refer to them as plagues, and that's not wrong. The the language is in the is in the Bible. But actually, if you read the rest of the Old Testament, you read the entire Bible. What's going on right now is depicted in the the majority of the language that refers to this. Like read the Psalms, for instance, refers to what God did in Egypt as signs and wonders, not as plagues. And so we're not just to see God is pouring out judgment, although that is definitely, definitely, definitely happening. We're also to see God in his glory. God did signs and wonders. He's not just judging. He's using this judgment to pull his people out, to save and redeem his people. So it's not just to be, we need to be seeing all the aspects that the Bible is asking us to consider about God when we read the plagues. Uh, any other comments about the sixth plague? That's really good, but I think that really, uh, you know, moves into the seventh plague and, and kind of thinking of, you know, what's the reasoning for all these things? You know, you yes. just talked about quite a few of them, but right here from verses, I want to say 14 through 18, 19, I think 18, we really see, you know, God's power really shine through. And we also see another purpose um, for all these things. You know, the Lord instructs Moses to tell them that, you know, even though um, the Lord could have struck you know, the Egyptians down, could have struck Pharaoh down, um, could have just caused him to be a speck of nothing. Um, he says that, you know, the reason why he's doing this is to show uh, his power. And so his name, name may be proclaimed uh, in all of the earth in verse 16. Sorry, 
Real quick, yeah, uh, for those not with a Bible in front of them, could you actually read uh, 14 through 16? There is just so much to unpack there. So can yeah, you read that for them? No, that's really good. And I, I just think that this whole section right here just really shows uh, the power of the Lord that is that we've really been referencing and talking about in all of these chapters. Uh, but looking at verse 14, um, you know, the Lord uh, speaking here to Moses, uh, saying to Moses, for this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. Verse 16, but for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may, may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause you very heavy hail to fall, such as never been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Awesome. So notice, actually, I just realized this. We're in the seventh plague. There's a warning. Just as I said, the first one has a warning. The fourth one has a warning. The seventh one also has a warning. Um, or sorry, the first and second, then the fourth and the fifth, then the sixth and the seventh. Or seventh and eighth. I am not good with numbers right now. I have been reading way too much. I've lost all my math. Anyway, so 14 through 16, I love what Andre just read. God is basically, so God tells this to Moses, Moses to go say the the exact words to Pharaoh. God basically says like, I could have snapped my fingers and it would have been done. But instead, I am doing all this to show my power and exalt my own name among the entire world. Like all the nations are going to hear about this, which is what we're going to see in in later chapter, in chapter 15, in the Song of Moses. And so the plagues are doing a specific thing. They're not just judging. They're exalting God's own name. God is operating for his, his glory. So they get this warning about the hail. And hail is often tied to the judgment of God. You go read Joshua 10. You go read Psalm 18, depicts God in the heavens, and there is hail coming down you go read isaiah ezekiel there are pictures of hail where god's pouring out judgment it's not just in this one narrative uh so and think about verse 21 we've been talking about this a lot but verse 21 whoever did not pay attention to god's word left his slaves and his livestock in the field like man you're like you already experienced the livestock thing the first time in the fifth plague now it's coming again and then in verses 22 onward we see all this stuff about vegetation um which is crazy because it's recalling us back to Genesis 1. God made the vegetation. Well, it's part of his judgment now. Another, like, one last thing I wanted to point out here is that, um, you know, this warning um, kind of made me think that, you know, this this plague, for any of, of those who didn't uh, listen to the word of the Lord, you know, they would also be affected. Their livestock would also be affected. So there was still this this point that the Lord was making that, despite providing this way out, they still need to follow his instruction and they still need to, um, you know, honor him and do as he said. And, you know, we're going to continue to see this idea that potentially um, there being this, this, this path to, to being protected, to being set apart, to being, to being saved from something, you still need to follow this instruction and then there might be some failure to do so. So we'll get into that in the weeks to come. But if you have anything else on the seventh plague, uh, you know, go for it. Only, not really in the seventh plague, just Pharaoh's response. Pharaoh confesses, I have sinned. However, it's not a true confession. We're going to see, he's going to keep doing the same thing. And that's true. That's like, that's true in all of human history. People coming before God and repenting and then 
no no heart change. Moses sees right through him. Verse 30, as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. And so Moses understands that like Pharaoh's going to continue what he's doing. Verse 35, the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. And so now we get to the eighth play, locusts, which is used again in the vision in Joel 1 and 2 to depict uh, God's judgment. And so uh, look at uh, chapter 10, verse 1. God wants to show these signs among the people. And then there to tell future generations. So what God has done in the past is supposed to encourage us in the present. That's why I love reading church history. We get to see what God has done in the past and it makes us more expectant, hopeful, prayerful about what God is going to do in the future. It allows us to trust him and depend on him more. So yeah, eighth plague is locusts, grasshoppers type stuff all over the place. Gosh, that just sounds, just sounds awful. I can just imagine the noise. Um, yeah, what do you see here? Uh, I really like the point about, you know, telling this to their future generations uh, and, and kind of, you know, another reason for all of this is that, um, you know, future generations are going to have this, these, these stories and this recollection of, uh, you know, God's power as well. And then also um, we see in verse seven, Pharaoh's servants say to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let them go that they may serve the Lord, their God. Um, do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So at this point, um, all of these plagues, you know, it wasn't just a few flies and a few frogs, like we said. The land is devastated. Uh, their source of, of food, um, their economy, uh, water, everything has basically been, been ruined, the, even the trees and, and, and essentially everything. And at this point, the Egyptian people just want this to be over. Um, they essentially, you know, do not care who's right or wrong at this point. They just want this to be over. Um, Pharaoh, they're telling Pharaoh, you just need to listen. You need to stop lying um, and just let them go and, and serve the Lord. And, you know, we see that, you know, Pharaoh again, um, you know, pleads. And, you know, we see that yet again, um, the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. And so um, at this point, we're kind of at a tipping point. We're kind of getting to this tipping point where there's enough uh, discomfort. Um, there's been enough, you know, pain. Uh, Egypt is essentially ruined. It says, uh, you know, Pharaoh is really scrambling here. Um, and, and we're going to see this, this tipping point um, pretty soon here. Yeah, and this is a long narrative about the locusts, so we don't need to cover all of it. I think verse 13 is kind of interesting. An east wind comes upon the land. The east wind had brought the locusts. Well, that's significant because an east wind is what actually is going to end up parting the sea. And so... Uh, in 1421 and 22. So when we get there, we're going to see an east a wind, an eastern wind is going to come and part the sea. So God is operating in these patterned ways. And uh, verse 15, they covered the whole face of the land. The land was darkened um, and not a green thing remained. I mean, doesn't like this is just one. It's brutal to imagine the movie is again, inaccurate in several ways, but just, I don't know visualizing it is, is hard. Verse 16, Pharaoh again says, I have sinned against the Lord your God. Please forgive my sin. But verse 20, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he didn't let the people go. So we see the same exact thing again. And now we're into the ninth plague, which concludes our plague time. We have a maximum of five minutes left. Andre, what do you think about the ninth plague? Now, I thought it was really interesting. So we see that there's there's darkness over all the land and we see that it lasts for three days. Um, no one can see each other Um and and I and I really think that that it's, it's super interesting, uh, kind of how this is um, described for us. And you know, we see that you know it, it truly is 
you know, pure darkness and just kind of what that, that means in, in the scope of everything that, that we've seen up to now, that we've seen these plagues um, and we've seen, um, you know, really God's power. And here, you know, while we would like typically think of God's power with, with light, right? Now we're, we're seeing it um, with, with this darkness, which is kind of not yeah, what creation what reversal. Yeah. Uh-huh. So really interesting to think about that. And uh, I'll let you uh, dive a little deeper into that. Yeah, just a couple things. I mean, one is, I mean, just like he, just like Andre said, God, like we see God's glory with light. And think about creation. The first thing, Genesis 1-3, let there be light. First thing created. Now with the plagues, before the, the final plague. But the last thing God addresses is light, but he, he reverses it and he brings it to darkness. I think this is actually kind of funny to picture, just because of like, you think of ancient Greek and Roman mythology as well. There's stuff like this. But Ray was the sun god. So he had this boat and he like just made the sun rise. And you know, it just like went up. And uh, kind of interesting to think about because they, for three days, they just be like, where's our man Ray? You know, Yahweh is sovereign over all the Egyptian false gods. So, so much for that. And then the last thing is, if you go listen to our episode on Mark 15 from the season, the second season, we, I probably said a sentence just like this, but it's because it comes from this text. So in the ninth plague, darkness is covering all the land before the firstborn sons in Egypt are killed in the 10th plague. Egypt had darkness for three days. Remember who the firstborn son is in the story it's israel chapter chapter four god says israel is my firstborn son and i'm going to save him out of egypt who's the firstborn son in the new testament well romans 8 tells us that it's jesus the firstborn among many brothers so in mark 15 there's three hours of darkness at the time of the crucifixion and the son of god is killed who's referred to as the firstborn in chapter 12 when we get there the blood of the lamb is going to protect from judgment and in mark 15 the lamb is going to cover everybody's sins so we're seeing a direct parallel now obviously it all happened it's not just put in there to be like cool and literary but it did it did happen in this way and we get these interesting connections between the crucifixion account and our salvation and between the exodus account so that's all i have to conclude the ninth plague i don't know if you have anything anything else but yeah darkness covers the land this is going to be the last plague before the firstborn sons are killed Julian, i think that's a really good transition and uh looking into next week um so hopefully everyone enjoyed this episode and you know hopefully that was a really good overview of all the plagues and, and kind of how they fit together but also uh their greater uh purpose uh to you know the story of exodus but also to the entire narrative of the bible so hope you guys enjoyed this episode and see you guys see you guys back next week